Amen. If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn with us to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 9. I do want to say it is privileged to be here at Valley Bible Baptist Church and Pastor McMath, his invitation, his friendship through the years, and uh, I am truly grateful for that. I was, as we pulled up this morning, my wife and I were talking about the first time that uh, we had ever been here to a service. It was, we had not even started having services in the storefront yet. We had just moved and I was utilizing those days to get around and get to know some of the men and uh, probably ask them for help, I'll be honest with you. And uh, I was, uh, uh, got to know Brother McMath already about a year or two before. But we came in and y'all were not even in this, this uh, building Y'all were in the other building over there. And I remember sitting on the back row because it was so full. I mean, it was packed to the gills of, of just, just people. And many of y'all were probably there and knew about, uh, you know, experienced that. And it was exciting. Brother McMath has always been an encouragement. And I remember the vans. I believe it was Brother Andrew maybe back then who was driving a van or one of the fellas, and uh, they drove the van and pulled it up. And I remember seeing that, and I remember saying, Lord, maybe God can do something like this one day for us. And uh, God's been doing that. I remember Gabby Hayes, I mean, Brother Charles Romero was sitting out there, and uh, he, he started giving our uh, kids candy, and he's just been a friend through the years. And uh, there he is right there. And uh, he's been a friend for us and uh, been a friend to us, and, and uh, we're thankful for this church and thankful for what it means to us in the lighthouse that you have been. I know that uh, y'all are still in Santa Fe County, correct? And uh, just, uh, just a little bit. And, uh, and just the lighthouse, this has been on the northern side of the county. So we're thankful uh, for what God has done. Thank you for your testimony as being a church planning, missions-minded church. And in those early days in the storefront, I would look at what God was doing here, and I said, Lord, maybe you can do it again. Maybe you can do it again. And uh, the Lord is starting to do it again as well. Amen. And we're thankful for that. Matthew chapter number 9, and we are going to uh, read verse number 35 down to verse number 38, a very familiar scripture. The Bible said, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he, Unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he, would, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. And Lord, I pray that this message might be a challenge to your people. And God, I pray that it would... Uh, just prick our hearts for the cause of Christ and the reason that you've left us here. We love you and we thank you. If there's someone here that's not saved, I pray that you would save them, show them their need for salvation this morning. Challenge the hearts of your people once again in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Jesus is in the middle of his earthly ministry, and he is ministering to uh, not only his disciples who he is training for further work, but he is also ministering to multitudes in many, many ways. You're going to find in Jesus' ministry that he uh, fed people, that he healed people, he taught people, he, he preached the gospel to people, he was a friend to people, and so on and so forth. There was much in his life that he, uh, that he displayed to us in how to live, but we know that the reason that Jesus Christ came above all else was to die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Amen. The Bible even mentions in this scripture that he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And I'll tell you this, as people of God, we should never forget that that's the reason that we are left here to preach the gospel. Uh, let us never forget that God has given us a purpose. Understand, he left us here after we're saved for a reason. It isn't that he doesn't want to see us. It isn't that uh, uh, he just wants us to spend our lives making money and, and uh, buying ourselves stuff and bigger and better things and impressing those around us. It's not simply just to take up time on uh, the earth, but it is because he left us here for the purpose of reaching others with the gospel. You see, the Lord wants to take as many people to heaven as he possibly can. And he's going to do everything that is, that is within his character to do it. And understand this, on the opposite side of that same coin, there's the devil. The devil is everything that is anti-God. He is everything that is anti-right and anti-holy, anti-biblical, anti-moral, and anti-loving. And he's going to do everything he can to take as many people to hell as he can with him. And part of the reason that this world is growing in violence and is growing in depression and is growing with addictions and it's growing with uh, false religions, it's growing with a gospel ignorance is because the devil is working overtime in these last days trying to take the multitudes to hell with him. But the Lord loves the world. The Bible said he sent his son into the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the Lord loves the world, although much of the world does not love Him. In fact, neither did you or I before He got a hold of our hearts. And I'll tell you this, that God wants us, His army, His team, His group of people, His local churches, that he has left behind on this world, or in this world, uh, to reach those that are within our reach, within our sphere of influence. He wants us to do everything we can not to neglect them. I want to look at the heart of Jesus today in this scripture. The Bible said as he went about the cities and villages and doing his ministry, uh, the influence that he had on the crowds and on the people uh, was reaching them as he was on his way to the cross. In the middle of all this, understand, he is an all-knowing God. He knew every person. He knew the very hairs on their head. and He knew their needs and he knew their lost condition. But think about it. An all-knowing God that has known that this moment in time was going to come to this point since forever. 
And he came to this world knowing this was going to happen. But even then, he comes to the very point of this, of this moment when he sees the multitudes, the Bible said. And even then, in his all omniscience and his all-knowing power, he is still moved with compassion in that very moment to a breaking heart, realizing that there are so many people that were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd, lost without God, and knowing that their only hope was in Him. Many of them had turned their backs upon Him. And I think about how He saw the crowds. He saw them. And His heart was moved. Even in His all-knowing power, he came to the point that at that very moment, his heart was moved by what he saw. How many here likes a big crowd at a store? Raise your hand. How many here likes to wait an hour for a meal at a restaurant? Raise your hand. How many likes to drive down Cerrillos Road in the middle of Santa Fe at about 5 o'clock in the evening? Raise your hand. All the kids that don't know how to drive yet, all right? They're the only ones. How many here likes to stand in line at the post office for 15, 20 minutes? How many here likes to go to the MDV? Nobody. We don't like... How many likes to sit and wait in the emergency room, doctor? And they're waiting on their turn. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. You know what causes all this? People. Crowds. Multitudes. And the problem is, many times, as even people of God, we look at other people as an aggravation and an irritation. We look at them as being in our way. We look at them as just keeping us from making a deadline. Just someone else we've got to fight in traffic with. Someone else that we've got to brush shoulders with and wait in line and wait in line and wait in line or stand in a crowd. No one likes to stand in a crowd at the cliffs or Six Flags, do they? They hate it. It's the reason they invented those little passes, you know. They avoid the crowds. But individuals, although we are people, we, see, we tend to look at other people as getting in our way. Keeping us from doing what we want to do. We come home, we say, where you been? Well, I've been in the grocery line, and man, it was just terrible. And, and man, we backed all the way back to the bakery at Walmart down there, and, and the, half the computers were out, and no one, I mean, the person in front of me was buying 50 lottery tickets, you know, and everything else before I, have you ever got that? I mean, the guy in front of you, you're in a deadline, you're walking to the gas station, the guy right there, give me about 50 of these lottery tickets, you know. It happens every time. And we get back and we, and we fuss and we say, yeah, it's just, just so crowded. You know what the problem is? We're not looking at people like Jesus looks at them. You see, we're looking at them as getting in our way, keeping us from doing what we want to do when all actuality, a lot of what we do has no eternal value. I know we have to live. But a lot of what irritates us is people keeping us from getting what we want to get done fast enough. And what we want to get done a lot of time has no eternal value and we're not laying up treasures in heaven. 
But when the Lord saw the multitudes, the Bible didn't just call it a multitude, He called it multitudes. There's a lot of people there. The Bible said He looked at them differently. He looked at them not out of aggravation, not out of irritation, although there were probably many in the crowd that did not even trust Jesus. They were just there because they were part of the crowd. And many had not turned to Jesus yet. As he looked at them, he saw their deception and what they were believing in. And his heart broke. And today, Valley Bible Baptist Church, I challenge you as people of God, let's start seeing the harvest as Jesus sees it. As we go into this missions conference, as we go into, uh, <clears throat> as we go into uh, even our day-to-day lives, let's wake up every morning and say, God, let me see the people that I'm in contact with as you would see them. In fact, I want to see people as you saw me. Think about that. How do we do it? I mean, you say, well, he's God. I know I'm saved, but I'm still just a sinner saved by the grace of God. And I still have problems, and I still struggle, and I still have my faults, and I still got a temper, and I still got my irritations, and things get under my skin, and a lot of it has to do with people. So how do I consistently look at people the way Jesus would look at them? I mean, He's without sin. He's holy. I sure would like to, but how do I do it? Well, I believe there's some ways in His conduct that we can mimic. And he's one that we need to try to mimic with our life. We need to look at him as a pattern and say, God, let me be like you. He is actually the one that we should be trying to be like. As we look here, I noticed some things he did and understand he was God. And I understand his character is, is all holy and perfect and righteous, but I believe he left us some, some characteristics that might help our mindset in how we look at the world at large around us. First, look at verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. The first thing that Jesus did is He saturated Himself within the harvest. Understand this. There are many religions in this world. Some completely anti-Christian. Others claim the name of Christ, but they deny the doctrines of the Bible and the power in which uh, uh, the Lord uh, is and His salvation. And understand this. Understand this, that almost all false religions have a practice. That their most religious Adherence to their their faith will do. They'll find a building somewhere in the middle of a desert or a mountain and they'll live a simple life apart from the world. Some people call them monks. The places are monasteries, convents, temples of some sort, shrines that they they live around. Some even will live in a cave or in a place that is total reclusion from the rest of the world and isolation within their self and what they believe is within their religion uh, they are living a holy honorable life that is set apart from all uh, worldly value 
And what they're doing is they are, are, as I said once before, isolating themselves within their self. Now I understand, as Christians, the Bible uh, even told His disciples, uh, or the Lord Jesus told His disciples, He said, you need to come apart and pray. And even Jesus did that at different intervals in His life. He came apart and He prayed and He was by Himself. But understand this, the majority part of Jesus' life was not lived in isolation. He put that in there because he knew that we needed that. He knew that there are times where we do need to get by there so where it's just us and God. We need a rest time for our bodies. We need a, a rest time spiritually and emotionally and mentally. And we need to get along with God. And, and there are seasons for that. But if you study the life of Christ, he did not spend most of his life in isolation. He was not a monk that lived by himself on the side of a mountain or in a cave. He did not run from society. In fact, the opposite is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. He allowed himself to be saturated within the society. Now understand the Bible teaches we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So understand the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was God, and he is setting also an example for us, he lived amongst people People were there all the time with him. Whether it was one individual, a woman at the well, whether it was his 12 disciples, whether it was the inner circle of three, uh, whether it was uh, the family of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, or whether it was multitudes that gathered around him. He was seemingly always, most of his life, or his ministry around people. Understand, he was not influenced by the world and that is where we need to understand as believers that we need to get. We cannot allow the world and society and a lost and dying generation to influence us away from Christ. But God has put us within their midst so that we might influence them for the Lord Jesus Christ with our words and testimony. Can I get an amen? amen. So what did he do? He saturated himself in the harvest. He began to see the harvest as only God saw them at that moment because he was within the harvest. He was within it. Now, where did he go? What did it mean by he was within the harvest? What does it mean to saturate yourself in people? Understand, he went to the cities and villages. Where did he go? He went to the places where they lived. He went to their place of living. Understand this, we are all people living around other people. But normally what we do is we get up in the morning, we leave, we go to work, we do our job, and we just go through the grind of our work and accomplishing the task of the day. And then we get home, and as soon as we get home, we'll lock the door and we'll vegetate for the rest of the night, okay, and start it all over. Our life is really spent with people only because we have to, and then we would draw into ourselves any other time where we don't have to be with people. That's human nature to a degree. We need to, as we're out there, we need to keep our eyes open. When we're at the stores, when we're in the neighborhoods, when we're working our jobs, when we are uh, amongst our neighborhoods. Have you ever looked for opportunities, just woke up and said, God, as I'm living with people, Help me to see them as you see them today. Help me to see them as you see them. And 
Let me not just see them as a traffic jam or a line at the post office or uh, uh, the guy that's lined up buying all the stuff he is at the gas station that's getting in my way and breaking up my schedule. Let me see them as not just mere faces in a crowd that's irritating to me, but Lord, let me see them as lost and dying souls without God that need Jesus as their Savior. And I pray that you might break my heart as your heart was broken for their lost condition. That comes by prayer and asking God to do that. That's not natural for human beings to do. I've explained what the natural tendency is. Now understand this. They came to their, he went to their place of living, but then he even went to their synagogues. Now understand, the synagogues had the Old Testament, that's what they studied. But understand, the synagogues at this time in history had started becoming bastions of a works-based salvation. They were run by Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and, and, and the, uh, the rabbis of that day. and Men that virtually were responsible for taking Jesus to the cross and hollering crucify Him and, and riling up the crowd to turn their back on Jesus. This was who the synagogues were run by. In fact, much of what went on, other than actually just the Word of God being read, that was the good thing, but much of the spirit and the actions that surrounded everything there was anti-God in Christ and holy. In fact, you'll read one time where uh, Jesus went and uh, He started turning over tables because uh, there at the temple and, uh, because of how they were acting. Now understand, understand this. Jesus went to the synagogues because that is where... People were looking for hope. They were going to the synagogues within their religion and they were trying to find hope in what the Pharisees were interpreting the Scripture as being, which was not hopeful at all. It was a very tiresome dead religion that had been manipulated by man. The very grounding that God had given them in 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 the law and in the prophets and the poetical books had been manipulated by the leaders to where it was anything but hopeful. But I want to, I want to say this. When we go to where people are and we see that we need to understand what are they looking for hope for. When we see the person on the side of the road, we need to see him instead of just passing him by and saying, oh, he's just another beggar. We need to say he's actually trying to find hope in that bottle or that joint. Maybe as we look into one of the places false religion in our town and we see people going in throughout the week we say God help me see them as not just being ignorant of your truth uh, but seeing them as people that are being persuaded by the devil himself to keep them out of heaven and take them to hell we see the person down there that's a lie and a cut a liar and a cutthroat, and he's out to make a dollar at everybody else's expense. You may know him in your business, and you look at him, and instead of being angry with him, say, "God, save his soul and change him as you did Zacchaeus." And not just in this town, but I'm talking about in the world at large. We need to see the harvest reaches further than just Espanola, Santa Fe County. It reaches to the very uh, ends of the world and back again. And God has placed you here to be a part of something. 
something that is bigger than you. He has sanctioned and ordained the local church to reach this area and reach the world and plant churches in you as a faithful member and a giving member and a soul winning member can be a part of what God is doing here. He, he, he got acquainted with their pain. The Bible said he went about healing their sickness and every disease. You know, one of the things that we do as people is we, when we are faced with pain, pain is unpleasant, is it not? Pain is unpleasant. We don't like to be acquainted with pain. Our pain or anyone else's pain. When we're dealing with a painful situation, Confrontation, sadness, tragedy. It's uncomfortable to us. A lot of times we do what we can to avoid pain if we can. Do what we can to avoid it. But the Lord got in where they were at. The Bible even says He was acquainted with our grief, our pain, our torments in our life. The Bible said here that He got down to their sicknesses and their diseases and he became acquainted with their pain. My question is, as people of God, are we getting acquainted with the pain in our community? You know what will give us a burden for our community? To get acquainted with their pain. One of the, starting in the storefront, we begin to reach people and trying to win people to Jesus. And honestly, in the beginning, much of who our church was in those early days were, were, were people that really had a lot of pain in their life. Had a lot of addiction in their life. They, we didn't, this is how it was, it may seem humorous, but in those early days in the storefront, we would see a Christian family come and visit us that was moving to the area, or they were coming in, and they would, they, they would come in, and we'd like, wow, these people have it together, we want them, but our church was not like them. And what ended up happening is they would come in, and they'd see, you know, uh, a drunkard over here, and bus kids here and, and then they'd see the lady over here that uh, was, was struggling and, and the guy back here is out of his head and, and uh, I mean it was just uh, the way it was and pastor and his wife were running around trying to keep everything as sensible and as spiritual as they could and uh, we'd never see them again. I mean that's really how it worked. I mean for the longest time my wife said uh, most people that come to our church are not already Christians. Most of them and if they are they're just barely babes in Christ and they're just struggling. And, and at first I, I, I felt, man, I wish it was different, but Brother McMath, God began to teach me that that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. I'm here, thank God for every person that God brings to us that already has some stability, but honestly, I'm here to reach the people that need to be reached. Amen? Thank God if God sends us some help that way, but the reason God put us there is because this is a place of pain. One of my Bible college professors said this. He said, young men, if you preach to hurting people, you'll never lack for a congregation. Understand this, people all around us are in pain, and we need to, instead of running from their pain, we have a, we have a Reformers Unanimous Addictions program at our church, and Friday night uh, they meet and they uh, they and we've seen multiple people saved and we've seen people reach through that and, and that has kept a tenderness I believe in our church to seeing people uh, that need Jesus that are right here at our fingertips that can be reached. Mm -hmm. 
when we go to other countries, we've started a church down in the process of starting a church down in Mexico. And we go down there, we see the little shrines that they set up on the hill. We'll see them around here as well. And we see people that are uh, suffering, you know, they're, uh, when it, or they put themselves voluntarily through suffering uh, to pay some penance for uh, trying to earn a love from God. Understand, you can't make God love you more than what He already loves you. He loves, and you know what? He loves you as much today as He did the day He died for you. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man would lay down his life for his friends. The Bible says we were not even his friends, yet we were enemies of God. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of all this, he never lost his purpose because dead sinner in this verse, the Bible said, he went about preaching the gospel. Amen. He went about preaching the gospel. Now, he saturated himself in the harvest, but I want to notice what he saw as well. Verse 36, in the middle of being in the harvest, the omniscient God says, and when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. As I said, when we're amongst our neighbors, friends and family and co-workers and, and people in our city, we need to see them as Christ saw them and still sees them. He saw them with compassion. There was a brokenness about him. When is the last time that you cried for someone that didn't know Jesus for that reason? When's the last time you shed a tear for their lost condition? When's the last time your heart was moved because someone you knew or were acquainted with or you met was without the Lord? This is the compassion I'm talking about. We can, even as preachers and pastors and people in ministry, we can go through the ministry of reaching people, knocking doors, administrating the bus ministry, and discipling people, telling people about Jesus, having different evangelistic ministries. But Brother Matthew, even sometimes, a lot of times, it is so easy to go through life and do the ministry, but without the burden. It just becomes a job. It becomes a duty. Oh, we, we even love what we're doing, but we forget about being broken about it. Jesus had compassion. He was broken. When's the last time you looked at a map of the world? When's the last time you looked at a little YouTube video of maybe Guatemala or Brazil or some town in Mexico or maybe somewhere in Pakistan? Your heart was broken by the fact that they needed Jesus. Not just their poverty, not just their, uh, their, the fact that they are poor and diseased, but the fact that they need Jesus. When's the last time your heart was stirred? I, I, I see the condition that he saw them in. Uh, the fact that there was a large number. He mentioned multitudes. We went through that in Sunday school uh, today, how that uh, the, the numbers of our population are ever increasing. By 2050, it's estimated to be over 9 billion people on the face of the earth. Many of them are turning to false religions. The fastest growing religion in the world today is, is the Muslim religion. The dear sister mentioned today right after Sunday school that another fast religion that's growing is Satanism, right? Right here in our backyard. We see it and we wonder what's going on. 
16% is estimated to one day in 2050, I believe it was, 16% of this country will be agnostics or atheists, believing in no God. These are the multitudes I'm talking about. Sometimes there are several lookouts around Santa Fe. You can look at La Bajada Hill. You can go over to the gun range out on the south side. You can actually uh, go to Hyde Park, Fort Marcy, those areas, and you can actually wait till it's nighttime. And I do this every couple years or so, two or three years. I'll find a place that I can get up there and sit and watch. And as the lights begin to twinkle and the street lights begin to show, the porch lights are turned on, the car lights are seen going down uh, Agua Fria and Cerrillos Road and even Interstate 25 and, and uh, St. Francis and Airport Road, the main thoroughfares there of the city. I tend to look and I look at the city. And I challenge you, if there's a place you can do that around here, I challenge you to do it. It's maybe somewhat easier for me because God brought me here from somewhere else for the sole purpose of starting a church that would win people to Jesus. So I know why I'm here. It's a little more difficult when you are born and raised here because this has always been home. This is where you were raised and you take it for granted that there is a mission field right at your doorstep. But I challenge you, even then... Find a place somewhere around here that you can get up a little rise and wait till it's nightfall. And I want you to look at all the lights in the city. Look at all the lights that are here. And I want you to, in your mind, see the representation that every light may represent a family or at least an individual. Every light is someone's home, someone's car, someone's place of business that they work at. Every street light is a place that overshadows someone's road that they live on. And I want you to look and I want you to say, God, there are people all over my county, all over my city that are dying without you. God, help me be a part of it. Not just here. Take a map of our state and I want you to pinpoint places that you know don't have a church. And say, God... I pray that you'll send someone or let a church be started there. Start weeping over the map of this state. I've got a, we're working down in Chihuahua, Mexico right now. And I've got a map of Chihuahua in my desk. And I had our preacher that works out of our church down there, a missionary. I said, I want you to pinpoint places in these municipalities that do not have an independent Baptist church that's preaching the gospel. Would you put a dot there? And he put a red dot all over that map. You know what that's doing? That's causing me to see the multitudes. That's causing me to see the need. We've got to purposely do this. If we do not purposely do this and we neglect this, what's going to happen is we will never think about it and the devil will win and get the victory. Because we're actually doing what he wants us to do. He can't still our souls. The Lord Jesus already has them. He can't take us to hell, but He can sure keep us from taking people to heaven with us. I, he saw them with, as a large number. He saw them without strength, and I've got to hurry. They fainted. The Bible talks about them as sheep. They fainted. They were without strength. Do you realize that there are people 
all over this world, all over this state, all over this community that are struggling. And the reason they're struggling is because there's a sin issue. There's a sin problem. And their sin problem comes from the devil and without the Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation, they'll never get over that problem. I pray that our hearts will be stirred and say the only way they can be strengthened is by the grace of God and His salvation. He speaks of them as being scattered as sheep. Do we have any sheep farmers here? Anybody that's raised sheep at all? Raise your hand. Several of you. I've raised pigs and I've raised sheep and I've raised chickens and we've raised some goats and we've raised all kinds of stuff. And I'll be honest with you, one of, besides turkeys, one of the, one of the things that, that die very easily are sheep. Turkeys may have them beat. Turkeys will die. They're born to die. I saw you had some turkeys down in your pen. They say if you're going to get baby turkeys to live, throw some chicks in there with them, and them chicks will teach some baby turkeys how not to die. All right? and, but the sheep tend to be very uh, defenseless. Now, I've got pigs. I've got a bunch of pigs at the house. They're pretty durable. Pigs, goats, and cats, they'll go feral faster than just about anything. You can let them out and they'll survive. But the sheep, they need a shepherd. They need a shepherd or else they're going to die. And when he saw them, the Lord, his heart was broken because he knew he was the good shepherd. He was the chief shepherd. He was the great shepherd. And thank God I'd say this, he's my shepherd too. But the Lord Jesus saw them as, as sheep having no shepherd, just wandering around, aimlessly scattered. Because of that, he saw them without hope. Without hope. Understand that without hope, the people are going to have no purpose in life. They'll have no living purpose. They'll have no eternal purpose. Their families will be without... Why do you think the... The divorce rate is so high. Why do you think the immorality rate is so high? Why do you think uh, drug addictions are at an all-time high? Why do you think depression and suicides are growing every year? Why? It's, why is there corruption and, on every hand and violence? It's because people have no hope. They're desperate. A lot of times we look at that and we say, Why do they act like that? Won't they just straighten up? It's because they're lost. And they're acting like lost people. Lost people have no hope. Lost people without God are going to go to a devil's hell. And in this life, they have nothing to live for other than themselves. And when it finally occurs to them that I, all I'm doing is one day going to die with me, that's a pretty depressing thought. And the Lord saw it. And he had compassion. Would we see it today? We have hope, we have a shepherd. We have a purpose. We've been delivered. The Lord's brought us into the fold of the redeemed. He's clothed us in the whiteness and cleanness of His garments. And we are made uh, clean before Him. And God has washed us in the eternal power of His blood. We've experienced it. We have that hope. But they don't. Let our hearts be stirred today. Let us... See the people of this town and county and our state and country, the world at large, as being a great harvest. Let us see the harvest. 
want to have the pianist and the soul director come, the instrument players, whoever does the invitation, if you can come. I want to say this lastly. He sent his disciples into the harvest. Verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, and he will send forth labors into his harvest. There's three things he told his disciples, and I want you to think about this as you pray today and God has dealt with your heart. He first told them to visualize, see the harvest, see the greatness of it, and see the lack of labors. We need to be, this is the only time Jesus, as far as I know, asked other people to pray with him about a certain request. We have prayer request time in our groups and midweek service. Pray for this with me fellow believers. As far as I know, this is the only time in Scripture Jesus ever said, fellas, I have a request. Pray you, therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. And that brings us to the agonizing. When's the last time we actually agonized in prayer? When's the last time we prayed with a pain in our heart and a brokenness and a burden for people that are lost without God? Whether we know them or not, we are broken over the fact that they need Jesus as their personal Savior. And then he says, you need to evangelize. He said, send forth. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Are we saying yes to God? Have you said yes to God? Maybe there's a young man or a young lady that would say, I've never told someone about Jesus yet. I would like to... Learn to tell someone about Jesus. Maybe you're here today and say, I've never given to the Faith Promise Missions program to support a missionary that would tell someone about Jesus in a place and I cannot go. I've never participated in one of the church plants that the pastor has, has uh, initiated through the ministry of this church. I've never got involved in evangelistic ministry, but I sure want to. After this message, I want to start being involved in the harvest and bringing the harvest in. You know, part of making a difference is having compassion. Sowing in tears. Then reaping. Maybe you say, well, I've not reaped much. Have you sowed much? We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. You know, you're only going to reap what you sow after you sow, and you'll probably reap more than you sow. So what are you sowing? Are we seeing the harvest today? As we all stand, the song.